0: morning, everyone. Welcome to Parent University. Um, My name's Jeff Summers. I am the pastor of student families here at Perimeter Church. So if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I would be glad to do that afterwards. So so Parent U, what is Parent University? It's something we do right now. We do it a couple times a year for four weeks in a row. It'll be every Sunday uh, in February. We usually do it again in the fall, so in November... We try to cover a different subject matter each time that helps you navigate uh, your family and especially through the tween and teen years, uh, covering a different subject matter. We do have a bank of subjects that we have covered over the years. We actually started doing this back in 2011, believe it or not, so it's been going on for a while, so you can find uh, links to previous podcasts on the website. We cover things like communication, technology, and this particular one that you have wandered in here for, we're going to be talking about sexuality. Now, um, sexuality is something, you know, uh, there's with some fear and trepidation that we're going into this, right, to talk about this. So just, just to start out, let me ask you this question. So if I say don't have sex before you get married, okay, right, we're all familiar with that. We're familiar with this idea. This is the statement of the church to our children, right? Think back to when you were growing up. If you grew up in a Christian home, you probably understood this idea. Now, how much power is there in that statement? How well armed, if this is all you know... About your sexuality, as a teenager and as a 20-year-old, how is this equipping you for that reality? I see some heads going like this, right? Um, For some of us, maybe that's all we were told. Uh, If you think about, I even can think about the church as a whole and say, okay, over the last... Ten years at this church, which is a great Bible-believing church where we're going to go through the scriptures. How many talks, how many sermons have you heard on sexuality? Um, how many Sunday school classes have you had on sexuality? How many D-groups have you had on sexuality? Thinking about that, um, it's not something we talk about. Right? Not, not enough. Um, what is missing in this statement? The reason why, yeah, the why behind it is missing. Uh, It's one thing to say, hey, don't have sex before you get married. Purity is important. But if we don't really go into the why behind the statement, then it doesn't have a lot of power to help arm our kids to navigate this situation. Okay? Now, let's compare that to don't touch the stove. Right? When we had little kids we would all say, hey, don't touch the stovetop, right? Now, if that's all you said to your kids, is that going to help them not touch the stove? I mean, it might if you're like a pretty serious disciplinarian and they know they're going to get the hand smacked. Uh, Even then, if you're not around, touching the top of the stove might be a good idea, right? Um, Now, most of us would never say, though, just don't touch the stovetop. Why? What would we say? We say, don't touch the stovetop, it's hot. Okay, so right out of the gate, we're getting a telling them why. Why are you not supposed to touch the stovetop? Because it's hot. Uh, We might even go a little farther and say, it's so hot, because there's a lot of, hot is, I mean, that's a relative term, right? We might say, don't touch the stovetop, it's hot. If you touch it, you will get burned. Now we've taken it and we've talked about consequences, right? We've talked about, if you touch that stovetop, there are consequences and it's going it's to leave a mark. It's going it's to hurt for a while, right? And there's going to be a scar that's going to be there when you do that. Um, now, it's not even the same thing close in, in scope with sexuality. But here's the thing. Using this analogy, what if... You said don't touch the stovetop, and maybe you even said it's hot, and you said that you're going to get burned, okay? Now, we turn on the TV, and in every single television show and sitcom, everybody touches the stove. They touch the stovetop all the time. And not only that, they love touching the (laughs) stovetop. Touching the stove is awesome. There are no consequences to touching the stove. Man, you can cook all kinds of things up there. And it's amazing. Every song on the radio talks about our longing to touch the stove. How wonderful it is. Different ways you can get up there. Right? Okay. Now, this may seem absurd to some degree, but that is the situation that we're in okay? We're in a situation where we may not want to talk about sexuality but the culture is talking about it all the time. And they're screaming about it and they're whispering about it and it is subtle and it is overt. It is going to be in your face. It is every, I mean if you listen to pop music, it is there in almost every single song. If you watch television shows and we are we kind of A lot of us are even so used to it that we don't even notice it anymore. I mean, I can't think really of hardly any sitcoms or any shows that are popular on TV where casual sex is not just normal. Normal. I mean, a lot of us grew up in Friends, the Friends, uh, you know, and Seinfeld uh, era, right? Uh, Just think of Friends, how many, if you went through and counted how many sexual partners all of the different Friends had... In the course of nine seasons that we all just kind of watched and accepted, it's a lot. It's a lot, and it's speaking. And it's interesting. I wonder if you could take cohabitation, which we'll talk about to some degree later on, but just cohabitation and the popularity of friends. And I wonder if the the frequency of cohabitation with the popularity of friends, if there's a if there's a correlation. Used to be in the South, people didn't cohabitate. That was a thing they did up north. Not anymore, right? So the culture is is speaking loud and clear about these things. So as we go go into this, let me tell you where we're going to go over the next four weeks. I I enter into this topic, with, as I said, with fear and trembling. Things I may say in here can be seen as controversial. We all have different opinions about different things. And um, everything that I'm going to say or most of what I'm going to say is very countercultural. Right? What's crazy is I'm going to spend the first couple weeks walking you through what Scripture has to say about sexuality in a very positive way. I'm not going to focus on the don'ts, do not, do not, you know, and all those Levitical rules and different things. I could do that. But what we're going to do instead is just talk positively about sex because that's one of the things that's missing in our culture and the things that we are not doing as parents is not talking positively about sexuality with our kids. And so we're going to walk through, because God actually really likes sex. That's a message our kids need to hear. God actually really likes it. He invented it. He thinks it's a great idea. It should be celebrated in the church, and instead we don't want to talk about it. Um, So as I bring this up, one of the reasons I have fear and trembling is I can bring up a lot in our own sexual history that we don't want to revisit. As adults, right, we all have baggage that we're going to bring to this conversation. And probably will bring up some things that you may have gone, man, nobody ever told me that when I was a teenager. Um, it's possible you'll know everything that I'm going to say. And you'll be like, wow, yeah, I knew all that. And, but some of us may go, well, nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever pointed that out in scripture. Nobody ever told me the why. Nobody ever really explained God's design for sex to me when I was growing up. I have to say nobody did for me. Nobody did for me. And I think that if they had, it would have helped me to pursue purity uh, with a a greater fervor. Um, So I say all that as as a precursor. If I do step on your toes or bring something up, I'm sorry. That is not my desire at all. But here's the thing. Here's the reason that I'm doing it. This is important. We have to talk about it. As I said, because the culture is talking about it all the time, nonstop, we have to discuss these things. And I want to go through all the scripture with you and go through all of these things, hopefully to give you some tools so that you can talk to your kids and say, you know what? Here's why. Here's why this is in here. Here's why this is so important. Here's why we need to pay attention. Here's why uh, God designed it this way. And it's for your protection, and it's, it's, it's beauty, and it's for intimacy, and it's for oneness, and it's for, um, it's, it connects us in so many different ways. Okay, so I want to just kind of give you all that because my desire, there's, there's a teacher named Mary Flo Ridley who does a talk. She talks to children about sexuality in, a, in an amazing way. We're, we're thinking about figuring out how we can get her here to talk to um, our church about that because she's really good at it. But one of the things that she says is... Her view is we should, that our kids' brains are like sponges, okay, and they're soaking things up all the time. And that what we want to do, you think about it, a sponge eventually gets full, right? It's full of water, and it doesn't really suck up any more water. And so her way of thinking about it is we should so saturate their minds with the truth... Of God's word and his design and the way it's supposed to be that when the world is trying to give them false views on these things, there's just no room left in there for that. And I think that's a beautiful picture. So what we're going to try to do the next couple of weeks is saturate our minds with some biblical truth. Okay. And really, there's going to be a lot of scripture the next couple weeks. Then we're going to spend two weeks talking about broken sexuality. Okay. So we're going to talk about healthy and holy sexuality for two weeks. And then we're going to talk about broken sexuality and how the culture is speaking, just so we can be, again, armed and thinking about that when we, when we confront it um, in the culture. And, and, and weaving all through there is also going to be how, how do we equip our kids uh, to navigate this world, okay? So let me pray, and we'll just, we'll jump in here. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for these parents that are here, and Lord, you are not surprised again by this world we live in, and... Uh, the oversexualized culture that we are experiencing. So I ask you to give us guidance and wisdom as we dive into your word that you would uh, teach us by your spirit and by your word today. Give us tools to equip our kids. Uh, and, Lord, we want to see them honor you with their bodies. And we want to honor you as a culture, as a Christian culture, uh, as a Christian family that is against uh, the general flow of our culture in this area. So, Lord... Guide us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. All right, so God's design, holy sexuality, is, is really this idea. Um, so we're going to start out Genesis one twenty seven. So right out of the gate, <coughs> there's some things that are important for us to touch on that are real issues in our, in our society and in culture. So Genesis one twenty seven says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, a lot of you, if you've been in church a while, this is a verse you've heard a million times. Is there anything that jumps out in that verse that might be a little different that uh, you may not have really noticed before? How did he create them? Male and female. Now, should that be an issue that's unusual in our society? Is there something confusing about that? That's very confusing in our culture right now, right? If you get on Facebook a few years ago and you wanted to say whether you were male or female, were there two choices? Um, there were when it first started. About, about three or four years ago, there was over 40 choices you could click on Facebook under gender. I don't even... I can't figure out how all 40 of them. I'd have to have someone define the terms for me. But... I think of about five or six, but this is an issue in our society that has been very much blurred. And it's amazing that God in his infinite wisdom right out of the gate defines it for us, isn't it? It's almost like he could look down through history and, and figure out that at some point in time, this would be an area where we would need some guidance. And so he said right, out of the, right from the beginning... I created you male and female. Now, it's even interesting for us to go back and say, why was the Bible written, and especially the first five books of the Bible? Why was it written uh, in general? And Moses wrote the, the Pentateuch, the first five books on the plains of Moab as he was entering into the Promised Land. This was oral history and things that we believe were passed down from generation to generation. And Moses uh, wrote those first five books. And part of what he was doing was reorienting the Israelites against the culture that they lived in because they had grown up in a very different culture, right? They had grown up in Egypt and generation after generation seeing probably every type of sexuality you can imagine and many gods and all of these different things, right, that they were confronting and facing. And so he's like, we have to train them about what God says is what's real. And so he is reorienting them on the reality of the way things are supposed to be. Okay, And so right out of the gate, he says male and female, he created them. If you start talking to your kids about this, you might find it interesting. They will be very, they could be, especially if you have older teenagers, they're going to be resistant to even wanting to talk about this idea. If you talk to them about their friends at school and so on, and and is this an issue that has confusion, they will, it's very uh, not safe for them to enter into these discussions at school, and talk about it. Why is that? How will they be seen if they take a hard stand in an area about this? They're outsiders. They're. I'm amazed how many middle schoolers. If you're judgmental and you're a bigot, um, uh, it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to navigate for us as adults in certain environments, much less for our kids to wade into this in school. Um, so how do we teach them the biblical truth and, and equip them to lovingly interact with the sexually confused world around them? Um, God said that male and female correspond to each other in every way. I believe that, uh, I think it's interesting that he said, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. So he's saying God created man in his image, mankind there is what he means, and then he, he differentiates male and female. I, I love the way John Eldridge puts it, where he's, he kind of talks about in Wild at Heart that he feels like God couldn't contain all of his image in just one sex, so he kind of has strengths and weaknesses of, of, of who he is in different, in some in women and some in men, you know, like God's strength or God as a warrior shows up more in, in men, not though that's a generalization, but he, he says of women that women embody the exquisite beauty and exotic mystery of God in a way that nothing in all creation comes close to. I love the way that he puts that, right? There's something about God's mystery that he wraps up in women that that men, we still haven't figured it out, right? So that's, it's beautiful the way God has designed men and women uniquely. Women are naturally more nurturing, right? If I say that, we are like, well, yes, they are. Not, I mean, not that you can't have an incredibly nurturing man. You absolutely can. But there are generalities and things and strengths and weaknesses and the image of God is hidden in men and women in different ways. And he created us differently and yet we, we complement one another very well. Um, and that is all by design. Uh, physically we complement each other very well. And it is by design. Um, so denying God's design, if you think about it, is anti-science. It's really kind of bizarre that the group that doesn't believe in God, period, finds it so easy to disregard the scientific fact that you were born... A man or a woman, right I mean the the science behind it is pretty clear. Uh, you know your body is saying you are a man or you are a woman, and um, until very recently, that has even it has even been called se- uh, sexual dysmorphia you know in psych- psychology books, you know that this is something that is very different. We, we came across this I was there's a book I recommend by Nancy Piercy. Uh, called Love Thy Body, and it's a great book. Um, she's a professor in Houston, and she, uh, she spoke here at the Areopagus Forum recently, and that she's also got some YouTube videos you could watch on the book uh, that, that would help you kind of get a feel for what she writes. She, she trained at the Schaefer Institute, and so she really gets deep into this some of these issues, and she describes this, that this idea of this dualism This two-story dualism came about uh, in the 17th century. Descartes, who said "I think, therefore I am," is the one who kind of came up with this dualistic idea. And what he was trying to do and is free the mind, okay, the autonomous self from the from the body. I don't know if we have that yet. So, so you freeing your mind from the autonomous self, um, and what he was trying to do at this time, all of these scientific things were saying you're just a machine, you're just a mechanism. You know, this is who you are. Your body is just doing... And he was trying to say there's no place for spirituality in that, right? This is all just natural law, and this is what's happening. And so he actually thought he was doing a favor by splitting the two, that, that our mind was this free autonomous self. Now, this actually goes back, way back, to Greek dualism, right? The body is evil, and the mind can do, and the spirit can do whatever they want while the body's evil. So this has been around forever. But this, what this did is it freed the mind and this autonomous self from the reality of the body. And this is not a good thing for our kids. This is the natural, just kind of accepted view now in all universities, for the most part, in high schools. I mean, what your kids are going to be taught generally is this idea. And we're familiar with it when I say that, right? No one's like, oh yeah, this, this isn't the case. But that, But the way we were created and what we have to remind ourselves is you were created to be a physical, spiritual being. The mind, the self, this id, whatever you want to call it, right? This whole who you are as a person is connected to your body. Your body is not evil. Your body is beautiful and wonderful. God created it and he thinks it's fantastic. Um, Mark, do I have that next The next screen that has that dualism? Uh, do you have that one as well? So, You see, we've also separated theology and morality as private, subjective, and relativistic over science, right? The things that are public, objective, and valid for everyone. So this dualism, we see it over and over again in different ways. And yet again, it goes against what God says. So Psalm 139 says this about our bodies, okay? For you formed my inmost parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made and the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Okay? So right out of the gate, God says, I made you male and female. He says, be fruitful and multiply. I want you to have... Sex. I want you to fill the earth with my image. Okay, over and over again. We have beautiful psalms like this describing, with the inspiration of God, that he created you exactly the way that he wants you to be. He knit you together in your mother's womb. So God wouldn't do that and then go, Oops, I, I accidentally made you a boy when you're a girl. What, what, what was I thinking? He doesn't do that. Um, it's not a mystery, and where we need to be sensitive as we're interacting in this culture is it's not a mystery that people who do not understand the way God made us and have a biblical world and life view will be searching so desperately for a reason why they're unhappy, why they don't feel significant. And, and some can come up, up upon that and say, you know what? I'm unhappy because clearly I'm a, I'm a boy trapped in a girl's body, or I'm a girl trapped in a boy's body. God messed up. Or if there is a God. this that, that can make sense. How in our brokenness. We can come to this place. Okay. And so we. Again as the Christian community. We need to reach out in love. And gentleness. And just embrace. You know. how can How can we lovingly interact. With this world. That we live in. There's no place for. You know. For us to be crude in that. This is. This is an area that we need to have sensitivity for sure. It can also be, though, it can be an ultimate rebellion. Think about that. If we're saying to God, I will decide what I am going to be. I will decide who I'm going to love. God, you have no say whatsoever in what I want to be. It can be seen in that sense as well as that ultimate, you know, fist towards God and say, hey, I'm going to decide this. You didn't make me the way that I am. I will decide. And that puts us in the position of God over him. Um, we're going to jump into the one flesh relationship next. I want to take a few minutes. You've been listening for a while and give you some time to discuss. So we're going to put some discussion questions up on the screen for you uh, and take five or, five or eight minutes or so and talk about these things. Um, So what did your parents say? And and by the way, if you don't want to cover all these, you may just want to hit one that's interesting to you. What did your parents say about sexuality when you were growing up? Where did your views of sex come from? How comfortable are you talking about sexuality and gender with your kids? And what are the messages of the world that you're afraid your kids are believing? Okay? So take just a minute and talk about that around your table, and I'll come back up. All right, let's um, let's go ahead and... Pull it back in. Let's see if we can uh, jump into the the next passage of scripture. So, what we've covered so far, just to reiterate, right? That God created us in His image. Right? He created us, male and female. That we are. You were created to be a physical, sexual, uh, spiritual being. Right? It's sex is good. God created it. Um, and, you know, we want to, and that we were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Um, so now let's talk about the one flesh relationship. And God meant for sex to be in the context of a covenant relationship. So in Genesis two twenty four, we have, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Okay? Um, I think this idea that sex was designed to be in a covenant relationship is so pivotal and it's so important. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father. I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon on the radio uh, this weekend and he, or on a podcast, and he was talking about this idea that leaving and cleaving you know, to use the, the, the King James language, to cleave to your wife is such... For us, that's not that weird of a concept as Americans and, and as Westerners that you leave your family and you, you are joined with another person in a way that is so intimate that takes priority over the other, other relationships. But in other cultures, he says, in, in Far Eastern cultures, in, uh, in, in different cultures around the world, that is a very bizarre concept that probably the first time... Koreans heard this idea, that was a big deal. Um, you know, in different societies, that relationship between a parent and child is, is the primary relationship, is very strong, very strong. And so, this idea that no, you cleave to one another, and that is God's design, is so important. And so, sexuality outside of that loving, safe, committed, Relationship, it was never designed to be that way. I think about it in terms of a fire, okay? That uh, I love wintertime. I love, we have a gas fireplace, but I even love a natural fire more than that. I love like chopping wood and putting the, the fire all together and just sitting by it and it's so warm and inviting and wonderful. I love that, okay? Now, if I loved it so much in that context, I said, you know what, this is great here. Maybe fire would be great on the couch. And I take it out of there or in the middle of the living room rug. That would be fantastic. Maybe I'd like to take it over into the dining room. Now, what happens if I do that? If I take that fire out of the firebox where it's designed to be, out of that, uh, the chimney area, right, and I take it out and I put it in the middle of the couch, is that a good thing? That is going to leave a mark, right? It is, it is maybe I won't burn the house down, but I'm sure going to scar up the middle of the living room if I move it into that space. Uh, the, the ceiling is going to be covered with smoke. It's going to do some damage. All right, now even if I don't burn the house down, it's going to leave scars all over the place. And a lot of us, uh, this idea then that one day you're going to marry someone and bring them into your house... And there's going to be black marks around your house where you've moved that fire, okay? Because it burns. Even if it's not burning still, it's left a mark. And we can paint over it, and we can do some things to correct that. But there are, there's consequences, right? To taking that fire out of where God meant it to be, where it is warm and safe and beautiful, and moving it around where it wasn't designed to be. You see, sex reflects the Trinity. Um, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have this connection. And they're intertwined. Okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been together uh, since from, from eternity past to eternity future, right? You have the Trinity together. And God designed our relationship to be equivalent to that. That man and woman and the Holy Spirit, we are connected to God In the same way that he is intertwined and connected. And you see this interconnectedness all over the place in scripture. Uh, In John 14, uh, Jesus says this. I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. I will be with him forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or, or knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come with him and make our home with him. Look at that language that, that Jesus is using. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, he's gonna make his home in you. We are we are indwelling. There is a mutual indwelling that takes place with between us and God. Okay, we understand that concept as Christians. But so he is saying that we have this inner dwelling of this Holy Spirit. Now go to 1 Corinthians 6.15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined with a prostitute becomes one body or one flesh with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one in spirit with him. Okay, now what is society teaching? Society is saying loud and clear, sex is just a physical thing. It's just a physical appetite. There's nothing going on here that goes beyond the physical. What is scripture saying? Sex is deeper than that. Sex has consequences because your soul is mingling with another person's soul. And that's a deep concept. And it's confusing in the way that it's talking about one flesh. Okay, But if it's just physical, then he wouldn't say, why are you uniting the Spirit of God to a, to a prostitute or to someone who's not, you're not married to? If it's just physical, there's no reason to say that. That's silly. You're not doing that. But if there's something spiritual going on here, then that has real meaning and real power to say, hey, don't do this. This is is devastating. You see it again in Malachi. I ran across this verse a few years ago because I've understood this concept for a long time. But to see it in Malachi, Malachi was writing to the church and saying, man, you guys have thrown off your first love. And he said, the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because you no longer regard the offerings, regards the offering or accepts it from favor from your hands. But I say, why does he not? So why does God not honor their offerings? Because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth To whom you have been faithless, she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? Right there, he says it again. The prophet speaking through Malachi. I mean, Malachi the prophet, God speaking through him, saying, I did something. When you are in covenant relationship with your spouse, there is a spiritual connection that is taking place between the two of you. And it is tangible, and it is real. Now, this idea is a beautiful thing by design. Think about this. If we reflect that inner dwelling of the Trinity, that was designed for us to have this mutual connection with each other, a bond that you share with your spouse that only the two of you have. So that when things are incredibly difficult, Only the two of you share this bond. So that that this oneness that you feel, this this mingling of souls, this thing that just holds you together, that it is a beautiful design, right? It's supposed to be part of the glue that helps us to weather life together, right? Right? And, and again, Tim Keller mentioned it on the radio. It's also the main tool that he uses for our sanctification is this connection we have with that spouse, right? It is the main way we reveal our sin uh, as we interact with each other. And so this place, the one place in your life where you're supposed to be able to be intimate and to be totally here I am with another person is designed to be in that fireplace, right? Right? In that safe, the safety of the covenant that says there will be nobody else but you. You are the only one that is for me. And, and in that safety, that fire can burn in the way that it's supposed to burn. It's designed to be something just the two of you can share. It holds you together when things are hard. And this intimacy was meant to increase our oneness. Okay? This intimacy was meant to increase our oneness together. Um. The goal of this is this idea where he ends in that, where he says, let um, me go back to that verse. He says, both were naked and not ashamed. That's where he wants us to end up. Now let's go back, and I have another chart. So we have that chart that talks about them being, us, design, us reflecting the Trinity, now, here's the thing, and here's part of what's so wrong and so difficult about marriage, and I want to throw this out there again for us to relate this to our kids as we're talking about this. So, Mark, where's the next one? So, when we have multiple sexual partners beforehand, what is what can happen here? So now you're married, and in our past, we have, we have mingled with other people, right? You have, we have interacted with and been with other people when our purity has uh, taken a hit, okay, and and we take this into our marriage. We take those other people with us into our marriage. We take those relationships, and that's why I said this is going to be hard when we talk about some of this stuff because a lot of us have have this is our history, okay. We would like this not to be the history with our kids. Now, I want to make sure that I point out, and you can go off that side now, Mark, that that the beauty of the love of Jesus, and I will say this every week, God redeems. Sexual sin is not the unforgivable sin, right? Sexual sin is not the thing that that we enter into and, oh, man, that's it. I'm wrecked from now on. I'm, I'm pure from now on, I'm this, you know, it, that is not the case. It doesn't mean there aren't scars, it doesn't mean there isn't consequences, it doesn't mean all of us, if we have gone into marriage with this situation, we have had issues we've had to deal with, probably, right, as, as we unite our life with someone else, and put that fire back where it belongs, back in the fireplace, there are, sometimes it takes a lot of work, And God is on the throne, and he brings forgiveness and healing, and he is constantly knitting us together uh, in our relationships, bringing healing and forgiveness through these things. Okay? So I want to make sure that we keep that in mind for ourselves. We keep preaching the truth to ourselves in this situation. But this is part of the why behind while we're talking to our kids is that we want them To be naked and unashamed when they enter into that marriage relationship with their spouse. If they get married. We're going to talk about singleness as well uh, next week. Um, But if they get married, we want them to have God's design before them. And to point out the importance of it um, in the way that God designed this one flesh relationship. That we can be naked and ashamed with another person. Um, The Bible is one of the only places where if you think about does God like sex, does he think it's a good idea, you go to the book Song of Songs, okay? And Dan Allender has a book called God Loves Sex, okay, about Song of Songs. And I I read that on my study leave, and he just goes through it and talks about it and says, man, God! not only did God invent sex, he thinks it's an amazing thing. Like in Jewish culture, they wouldn't even let men or women read that book until they were adults, because it's racy. Now, the imagery is a little bizarre for us, okay? I'm just going to say. Um, but, you know, if you want to read a book like that and, and just say, hey, wow, we can kind of communicate. Because we want our kids to be pure, we can communicate that sex is dirty or sex is wrong or sex is, you know. We so deny the fact that God created us to be sexual, and it's a good thing. And, and so I want us to change our language when we talk about it. Um, When you talk about it with your kids, you want to say sex is amazing. God designed it. It's beautiful. It needs to be in the the safety of that covenant. But he designed it. It has a prominent place in scripture. Right from the beginning, right? We have here in Genesis. Right out of the gate. Men and women are created. And they have sex. And be fruitful and multiply. And they will be one flesh. And they were naked and unashamed. That is the goal. The goal is of God and what he has for us and what he has for you even and for me in our relationships now with our spouse is that that is the one person that we can be naked and unashamed with. And that should be celebrated. We should celebrate it together even as he has redeemed our past, right, as we come together as believers knowing he's redeemed it. And we can hold that up in front of our kids that they can be naked and unashamed and enjoy sexuality with each other uh, in the future as, as they get married so we're going to stop there I'm going to stop that's enough for today for you to, to think about and Cammy's uh, going to come up and, and share a little bit
1: hey guys I'm Cammy Summers I'm Jeff's wife and um, I usually come in at the end because after he shares I always like to get real <laughs> and talk about how this stuff is hard I mean, I'm a mom of four, and I hate, I hate the brokenness of sexuality. I hate having to talk to my kids about it and navigate all of this um, because I feel ill-equipped. I feel like I could mess it up, right? That, um, That they might ask questions, and they might be questions that I don't want to answer, that reveal my sin, that... Um, that maybe make them think I'm a hypocrite. Um, So it's easy. It's easy to do nothing, isn't it? Like it's easy to want to just check the box. Um, The Bible says Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And I love that idea, but if I'm honest, I can't really even imagine it. Um, I was raised in the South, and I really think shame was handed out in middle school it's a lot more natural to me than nakedness. I'm just being honest. And although I like the idea of my kids growing up so saturated with biblical truth and the lies that the lies of the world just roll off of them, that they're so well-versed in God's gift of sexuality that they don't believe the lies of this world. If I look around me on television and in the movies and... I mean, how many of you are going to watch the Super Bowl tonight? Like, how many of the commercials are going to be sexual? I mean, you can't... You can't watch anything and not see this picture of sexuality. And you turn on television and you see people living together or on the movies. Um, I went to go see a movie this week that I do not recommend. And I'm not even going to say the name of it. But I went because it was on the the Oscar list. And I was just horrified. I mean, I got up and left because it was so bad, the view of sexuality that was portrayed in that movie. And when I look around, I think the evil one's winning. If, If sex is his battleground, like I feel like he's winning. I think that my kids have heard the church say that sex outside of marriage is wrong. I think they're well-versed in that. But how many times have they heard the world say, or television or internet or YouTube, or even their health teachers say that sex is natural, that teens are going to have it, that it's just a foregone conclusion, so why are we fighting it? We need to just make sure it's safe. As if there were a fire you could take out of the fireplace that was safe, you know? Like, it's such... a lie Um, our world does not value self-control or discipline or abstinence and I wonder is it naive to think our kids will value those things unless we're talking about them is it realistic to think that we can just talk about sex and sexuality and de-group or once a year and they'll know everything they need to know about it I think we have to talk about it more than I want to I think we have, I think I have to put on my big girl pants and venture into discussions, not focused on me and my bad choices, but focused on God's redemption. But even that's hard, isn't it? Like we're afraid to talk about God's redemption because we don't want it to be licensed. We don't want them to think, oh, well, I can make these bad choices when I'm young and then God will redeem them. My theology is so shallow sometimes and you're going to have to excuse me because I'm going to read this part because I don't get it. And so I'm kind of preaching to myself too. God's plan for sexuality is bigger than me or you. Bigger than our mistakes or those of our kids. God is writing a story that isn't based on us, but based on him. His promises aren't conditional. I want to make them conditional, don't you? I mean, if I'm honest. And so I think if we really believe what we say we believe, then we can teach our kids about God's grace and mercy and desire for righteousness, righteousness and unconditional love with confidence. Adam and Eve weren't naked and unashamed because of their good choices. They were naked and and unashamed because of God's presence. Yes, they were walking in obedience for a hot second, (laughs) but the garden of Eden was paradise, not because of their obedience, but because God, God dwelt with them. Yes, their sin separated them from God's presence, but the work of Christ gives us renewed access to God. We don't have to figure it out all by ourselves and neither do our kids. Jesus redeems all of our sin he transforms our hearts of rebellion to hearts of righteousness and he can use our broken views of sexuality and those of our kids to lead us to repentance and dependence on him. This whole area for me honestly personally is one where I have I have to depend on God. My defaults are just so wrong. Um but that's those his redemption is is a greater goal than being a virgin on your wedding night. That's what I really want my kids to understand and know is that they need Jesus in every moment of every day, that nothing else will bring them joy than walking with Christ, and that the world, what the world offers, is less than. That sexual purity isn't our goal, holiness is. And our holiness doesn't come from our obedience, it comes from Christ and what He did. And so we can enter bravely into these conversations, not because we're so wise or have all the answers or have done everything right, but because we can point them to God's love and his redemption. I forget. I forget it. And I can stand up here and say this to you honestly. I, before I walk out of here, I could forget it. And so we have to preach it to each other. And so I ask you, if you see me forgetting it, will you remind me of the truth of the gospel? Let's remind each other and let's try to be brave and courageous. Um, when my, ki- my kids are, my boys in particular, I've written on the room, be brave and courageous. And I do think more and more as a Christian, God's calling us in this world to be brave and courageous. Not because we're brave and courageous, but because he makes us brave and courageous. So I'm going to close this in prayer. Dear God, I thank you that we have access to your holiness that is not dependent on us, but is fully given to us through the work of Christ. I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you that regardless of what anyone in this room has done or any of our children will do Lord, that we can find repentance and forgiveness and redemption in you. And I just pray that first you would teach that to our hearts, that we would know of your goodness and grace, and that we can testify from our own experience to our children of your goodness and faithfulness and love, and that that testimony would bear fruit in the lives of our children. Lord, I do pray that our children would want you, that they would want to walk in obedience that they would not believe the lies of this world, and that they would run to you with their whole hearts, that you would protect them and guide them and direct them. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom as parents, that we would not stand above our kids, shaking our finger at them, but that we would walk side by side, our children, with our arm around them, with our eyes set on you and that they would know of your goodness in their lives in a real way. And Lord, if that involves a brokenness, if that involves something, we just want to see you. We want to see you glorified and we want to see you bigger. And so help us, help us to remind each other in this community, help us to be your light in the lives of our children. And, um, and I pray Lord that you would redeem in Jesus name. Amen. Do you have anything after? So y'all are just done. Wow, what a heavy topic to go into worship. We'll be here next week. Come back.